that's kind of what, what, why I have a heart for what I do. And, you know, it's, uh, there's so many people out there that are, are and, and kids that go through the same thing. You know, I don't know what made me different, how I was able to get through that and um, go back to school. I ended up going back and got, and got my GED. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, I carry it around everywhere I go. Um, really? Yeah, I have it. It's, can uh, I see it? You sure can. It's, uh, it's a pocket. They, they were giving out pocket size um, GEDs mm. in West Virginia. The experiences of, of what people and kids are going through and that this gentleman is describing, it's homelessness. Right after my father died, uh, I actually made a, a promise. One of the first things I ever wrote on a promise card was that I was going to sleep in a cardboard box for two weeks in the winter uh, out, outside. And it was just to raise awareness for the homelessness. But one of the biggest things that I got from that was just how much I appreciated the feeling of warmth and safety. Two things that folks who are homeless, they don't get as much as, um, as we take for granted for. And that's going to be the center of today's episode. Hey, this is Alex Sheen, founder of Because I Said I Would. You're listening to the Because I Said I Would podcast, where we share the life stories that come from the promises that people make the promises they keep, and even those broken ones. In today's episode, you're going to hear an interview that I did with a gentleman named Derek. Derek is a supporter who lives in my hometown here in Cleveland, Ohio, close to our offices at Because I Said I Would. The challenges that Derek had to overcome in his life, they are tragic, but in many ways, they're common. I almost wanted to start this introduction with saying what happened to him doesn't happen to very many people, but... uh, but it actually does. This is his promise story. Why do you care about homeless people? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've been homeless. Um, you know, as a kid, I was homeless. Uh, my family, you know, my mother um, went through some things, you know, when we were young and, um, and, she, and she took us kids. And, you know, I was a, a young teenager at the time. And, and we started moving around to different homeless shelters. As a young teenager, Derek was living as a homeless child. Uh, I do a lot of work with schools, and because of that, I interact with kids, but I don't really get to ask them many questions, and I don't even know if I would feel right asking them. But as I'm in this conversation with Derek, I really wanted to stand in his shoes for just a moment to really understand what what it felt like, So, so I asked him. And I have a question, you know, like, I don't know, I guess we watch movies or we hear stories about this concept of being a homeless child. And most people are literally watching a movie about it and not, they've never met a kid who's homeless, or if they have, they didn't know that. They certainly don't know what it's like. What does it feel like? Do you know... Do you know that you're in that spot? Does that feel just like what life is? Or tell me. I'll tell you, it's, um, here are the reminders. <clears throat> I'll give you an example. Um, you know, so my mother, you know, she had four kids and, and she tried her best to keep us out of public housing. Um, she's renting a, um, an apartment. Um, it's like part of a house she was renting and she got a, a welfare check. And, you know, she, all her money, you know, was going 
to that to that rent, and um, and we didn't have money to pay the utilities, so she would get her food stamps, and you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, whatever. Um, we would she would take us kids to the store, and we you know go in with a food stamp, uh, take a dollar food stamp, buy a ten cent piece of candy. Now you got ninety cents in currency coming back. Mm-hmm. All right, she'd fill this bag up with all this change to come up with the money to pay the electric bill. Mm. So what does that do? That leaves you short on food come the end of the month, mm-hmm. right? So we were, you know, finding ourselves standing in line at the soup kitchen mm. to eat. So Derek's mom had to figure it out. She had to figure out ways to carry the load, to take care of her children, to to get the change she needed to pay the electric bill. Priorities... Uh, hard to manage when you're just trying to scrape by. So poverty doesn't only come with tactics, though. It also comes with emotion and even embarrassment. A specific incident, you know, standing in that line one time, um, I was a teenager, a young teenager and uh, 15 years old. And that's what I hung with some older kids. So some of them had their driver's license. Well, I'm standing in line um, and they all drive by. Mm. And, uh, and I remember them slowing down and, you know, looking, oh, wait a minute, that's Derek, and pointing at me and beeping and waving. And, uh, and that moment, I was so embarrassed. Um, and not that I hung with people who had a lot of money, mm-hmm. um, but just uh, those were reminders of the situation I was in, little things like that. That one school year, I was 15 years old, ended up in five high schools that year. Kind of just gave up at that point. The last high school I attended that year, um, they wouldn't even let me join classes with the general population because my records were so backed up. And they they said, you know, they didn't want to accept me. They couldn't even, didn't know where to even place me. So they sent me to an alternative learning school. This is the type of challenge that uh, not everybody really understands. Moving schools has a huge effect on children. Uh, when you look at foster care children, I think the number is somewhere between uh, seven and nine different schools in their K through 12 experience. So they're jumping into classrooms that are already on a path, already have a momentum, already have learned what you don't know. It has a huge effect on the quality of education and the ability to graduate for these kids. During that time, I realized that, uh, you know, that I was, I was doing, I needed to be on my own. Um, you know, I was a burden to, you know, my mother was scraping to, to, to make ends meet. I mean, she was on public assistance at the time um, and she had, you know, four kids. So, you know, being a teenager, you know, I thought, you know, I, I, I can't, you know, I can't burden my mother with, you know, you know, with eating there and, and, and her expecting to buy me clothes and shoes. And, you know, I, I, I tried to, you know, do it on my own. I ended up moving out on my own at 16. So at age 15, Derek dropped out of school. At 16, he left his family right or wrong. He decided to take the weight off of his mother's shoulders and do it on his own. He stayed with friends on and off for a while, but soon enough at age 17, he met a girl. He fell in love, moved in with her, and things started to get better. I was about 17 around the time, and she, 
she got an apartment. We got, you know, I moved in with her, and um, you know, her father was a cop, so it kind of, uh, you know, gave me more incentive to kind of keep my head straight, <laughs> stop hanging around a lot of the people I was hanging around, because um, I, you know, had a lot of negative influences in my life at the time, and you know, I knew that he was, you know. He kind of knew everything that was going on and the people I was hanging with, so you know, I kind of wanted to impress him a little bit. Became a unofficial mentor to me, I guess. You know, he didn't realize it, but I was you know, making decisions I thought you know he'd be pleased with, and because uh, you know I, I was absent a, a, a father figure. I don't think people give perhaps enough credit to mentorship and and what that does. And when you work in the field of character education, you start to very quickly be told, realize, understand that a lot of who we are is just learned from modeled behavior. The mentorship that Derek received, the role model that he had, turned out to be only one of many people, many things that helped Derek overcome the struggles in his life. Funny story, I worked a summer job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wanted to have somebody in my pocket. I was probably the skinniest kid my age in the town I lived in. Um, and it wasn't because I had a high metabolism. I just really wasn't eating. I was running with friends and just, you know, I didn't have money in my pocket to eat while I was out. So, um, but I got this summer job working at a state park. And they had one of the supervisors give me a ride. He'd come pick me up every day and drop me off. And we had about a 40-minute ride every day there and back. It was, it was pretty cool because he, he would always find ways to talk to me about life and just, you know, and ask me how I'm doing, you know, and just give me that platform to really start um, just opening up about things that was going on in my life. And um, his name was Donnie Retton. Um, his sister is Mary Lou Retton, yeah. the Olympic gymnast. Wow. Listeners who may not be familiar with his name, Mary Lou Retton. Mary Lou Retton, she was 1984's Simone Biles. Yeah, so he, um, his, and he would just tell me stories and just, you know, he was a wonderful guy, but didn't see me as being a poor kid. You know, it wasn't like I'm, I didn't feel like he was, he was looking at me like charity work, you know, like I'm here trying to help. Did you feel this. like some people looked at you uh, that yeah. way? Yeah, I do. I did, yeah. Um, and he just, you know, he just wanted, he, he was on my level. He kind of saw me where I was at and met me where I was at and just, you know, and just kind of kept it real with me, and uh, and I appreciated that. And you know, I haven't seen him in many years, but um, yeah, he's somebody that you know I, I can think back to those days when things were really hard for me. Um, I didn't have many good role models, but that was someone that uh, that kind of stepped up. And I don't think he even realized that you know he had that kind of impact. And of course, so much of Derek's life was influenced by his mother. You know, she was 14 when she had me. Um, she was really young. Um, and the sacrifices that she's made, you know, in her life, for me, um, I can never begin to, you know, to, to, to say how grateful I am. And I, and I, and I hope, hopefully I show her, hopefully she, and she realized, I tell her all the time how much she means to me. And, uh, but she went through a lot of things and, you know, and I, and I know some of that was because she was a young mom, you know. And, you know, being her oldest and knowing that, you know, her life could have took a different path if it wasn't, if you know, if I wasn't born, right? Mm -hmm. So um, the sacrifices that she's made um, for, for, for me and my brothers and sister, is, you know, has been phenomenal. And even to this day, um, she's there and she's always there. 
So, you know, and, and it's important that, you know, I say that, you know, I, I feel like I've been blessed in so many ways. I don't think that a lot of people that have been through some of the things I've been through and people have been through a lot worse. I realize that, but I don't, I don't know that, um, everyone, I, I feel lucky, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know that everyone has gotten the luck that I've gotten, um, to be able to have people in my life that believed in me, that encouraged me. Derek was right. He was lucky. Today, nearly 9 million children in the United States, that's 11.8% of all children, will grow up in persistently poor families. And what that means is that they will spend at least half of their lives from birth through the age of 17 living in poverty. In a study at the University of Michigan's panel study of income dynamics, they found that only 16% of children that fell in this definition of persistently poor children will ever become economically successful young adults. Only 62% of persistently poor children complete high school compared to 90% of children who never experience poverty. So there's a lot of Derricks out there that didn't make it, but this Derrick did. And Derek had a real motivation for this. Yeah, so when I was, I turned 18, um, you know, around the time I turned 18, I I became a father. Hmm. And uh, I decided, you know, I was going to give my my kids a different life. My biological father, I I met him when I was a teenager, um, you know, career criminal. You know, Mm -hmm. he wasn't someone that, uh, you know, that that I could really look up to. Um, but I wanted to be that person for my kids. So um, I ended up going to get my GED um, when I was 19. I ended up getting my GED, and I was very proud of it. And, uh, you know, it was an accomplishment for me because I didn't have an 11th, 12th grade education mm-hmm. at that point. So I was working two full-time jobs. I was going to KFC, mm-hmm. um, working there, then cleaning up, and then going to the mall to work at a department store, coming home, studying, spending some time with the kid. Um, but I wanted to do something different. And then when I got that GED, it was, uh, man, how empowering that was. It was very special. And, uh, you know, I, I worked hard for it. I earned it. Um, no one gave it to me. I had to pass that test and I had to, you know, study hard for it. And, um, and I think that that was that, that stepping stone for me that set, like, set me on a path to getting a higher education. Um, because it wasn't, if it wasn't for that, I would never have went to Cuyahoga Community College and got my associate's degree. Mm-hmm. I would have never went to Chancellor University and got my bachelor's or Strayer to get my master's in business. And with that education, with those degrees, uh, Derek's next move was actually to create his own nonprofit, to take his experiences in homelessness, to understand that issue uh, on a firsthand basis and, and make sure that he could use that to help others in the same condition here today. I founded a nonprofit called Forward with Purpose, Mm -hmm. and it's focused on homeless prevention and housing stability. And um, just, you know, our goal is to keep people housed and and, kind of alleviate homelessness as much as we can, Um, you know, with the eviction rates being what it is. And um, if we can get in and get involved and utilize tools in conflict management to mediate and help keep people um, from becoming homeless, that's what we want to do. And that's something that a lot of people don't realize, I guess they don't realize that that's one of the causes 
of homelessness is it, it can be gentrification. It, it can be just increasing the cost of real estate overall. A lot of times we see those things as kind of good things, right? Obviously we want to make neighborhoods better as far as like the building conditions, quality appearance. That's great. When property values increase, well, that's the, the homeowners are getting an increase in long-term wealth. That's a positive thing. Of course, uh, I think that makes sense. But at the same time, when that happens, it pushes out people who, who can't afford it anymore. So Derek's passion to help the homeless and his understanding of this complex issue, it is really a deep passion of his, so much so that he wanted to expand his knowledge. He sought out an opportunity, a scholarship, to learn more about how he could help this problem in our country. You know, what happened, I was, I was blessed with a, um, a full scholarship to mm. attend the National Alliance to End Homelessness Conference in D.C., mm. Um, you know, they were paying for my airfare, hotel, entry to the conference. Um, and, you know, I thought, you know, this is a, a beautiful opportunity um, to try, try to create some awareness around these issues, um, around homelessness and, and its effect on children and different people who are affected by homelessness. And, you know, I was walking through the park one day in the Metro Parks and I thought, you know, I hadn't been out walking or, or running or anything up to that point in a long time, and, and I was just wondering, like, you know, what can I do to kind of get some awareness out there? Do I, you know, should I do some type of email campaign? What, what can I do? And then it kind of hit me um, that, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna walk there. So, you know, that's what I'm gonna do. And um, so I listened to that inner voice. It was, you know, confirming. You know, I felt, I started feeling very comfortable about, about that decision and um, got to go home and um, share it with my wife and, <laughs> and and tell her the great news that I'm going to be walking to Washington DC uh, so yeah but I but I reached back out to them when I decided to walk I said I'm so you know, thankful that you're, you're you're going to pay for all this but I'm going to save you a little bit of money you don't mm -hmm. have to pay for my flight there um, I'm going to walk and, uh, and and so what did they what did they say they were, like, they, they, were they were they were very uh, supportive um, they said you know this is you know, can we at least buy you a flight home? <laughs> I said, absolutely. <laughs> I said, you walked across the Ohio. Can yeah. you imagine walking back? I mean, yeah, <laughs> no, one-way ticket, please. <laughs> right. So Derek's promise was to physically walk from Cleveland, Ohio, all the way to Washington, D.C. And, you know, I went, I started doing some um, research on it and found out how many miles. And um, and it, was, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't right on. I was off by a lot of miles. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a lot further than um, I anticipated. You know, mm -hmm. when you do, a, you know, a Google map walking, it's a little bit different than when you're out there and you're actually walking it, right? Yes, so, sir. Um, but I, I, I did some planning and I realized I had um, three weeks. Three weeks. Before I had to actually leave. Mm -hmm. and, um, and at that point, I hadn't walked a mile a day in mm -hmm. a long time. Mm -hmm. and, and I was going to have to walk 20, kind of physical shape? 20 miles a day. Yeah, what kind of physical shape did you feel? I wasn't in the greatest shape. And mm -hmm. I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this and, you know, I'll figure it out along the way. And I, I definitely understand what Derek's talking about here when it comes to planning and the short notice. And I mean it more literally than maybe sometimes I say that phrase. Like, I understand. I understand this because I, I walked across the state of Ohio uh, 245 miles in, in 10 days. And this is not something you can just Google. 
You know what I'm saying? This is not something that you say, well, how do I walk to Washington? It's, it's just, it's somewhat undiscoverable information. You have to talk to somebody who's done it before. Well, try to find someone who's done it before and get their ear. It's, it's not so easy. So I remember when I did it, I, I literally went to Google Earth and you know how they have that little kind of like floating camera feel down a road and I would just literally drag that dot along this huge 240 mile line across the map and say, well, there's no sidewalks, but it looks like it can walk on the side and I'm getting kind of bored of this and I don't want to drag this dot anymore. It looks good enough. I can do this. And I have a feeling that Derek found himself in a similar position where it seemed reasonable enough. It's not like he was running across it. It's not like he was in the middle of nowhere and had no support whatsoever of restrooms or water or, you know, food. It, it seems reasonable, but uh, it very much is not. It's extremely difficult, and I, I know that in my conversation with Derek, we just went back and forth and some of the challenges that we faced, not only obviously just food and water and that kind of stuff, but it's, it's the mental side too, you know? You're all by yourself. It may seem epic, uh, at least in some way, right? You're doing it for the right cause. I understand that, I get that. Uh, but there's nobody there to tell you that. You're all by your lonesome. You have to put left in front of right. And uh, all the support and praise and everything that comes with finishing, you know, all, all that great stuff that, that is said to you when you keep a promise, none of that is with you on the walk. Uh, it's really easy to get to a negative place. That negativity can pile up, but that's, that's where I think Derek was delightfully surprised. I think the big thing that I got was just the generosity of people. You hear so much in the news and on the radio and you and you see all this on the internet and and you know shock factor people talk about the negative happening out there happening out there but there's so many good people out there. And you know I walk through cities I walk through Pittsburgh you know, Cumberland you know I started in Cleveland. I mean, I walked through some cities and I walked through a lot of rural areas. And I'll tell you what, I met some of the, the best people I think I've ever met in my life. And, uh, and, and people were just, you know, giving. I had a, a lady go home and bake cookies and then find me on, the, on my path, on my walk, and to hand me a bag of baked fresh cookies to keep for my energy. Her and her husband found me, they said a prayer for me, and they gave me some cookies and gave her. You know, I had things like that happening all the time, the generosity of people. Kindness, generosity, good deeds. These are the threads that sow the seeds of change for humanity both today and for future generations to come. I don't know. I, I guess we need to, you know, we need to remember there's more good out there than there is evil, right? And good will win. Um, but we have to um, give it an opportunity to. And sometimes I think by when I was doing this walk, um, you know, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I met a gentleman. I was walking down the street, old bike route 50, and uh, and it was you know 
a road. Um, there was not much of a path, but it was down an old road um, heading through Ohio. And um, this gentleman came up to me, and uh, you know, he was in his in his garage. He came out and he called for me to come over to him. And he asked where I was heading, and you know, I explained what I was doing. And he uh, he said, "Wow, you know what? That's uh, that's great." He said, "It's amazing." He said, "You know what?" But you know, I'm, he said, I'm not a spiritual person or whatever. He said, but, or not a religious person, but I've been seeing a lot of stuff about homeless people on TV lately, and it's just wild that you're walking in front of my house. You know, I've never had, you know, someone walking in front of my house, you know, raising awareness on a cause like that. He said, um, he said, I just think it's pretty, pretty uh, fantastic. He said, but you know what? I just went down to the, the store and I bought a 12 pack of beer and a, and a lottery ticket scratch off and I won 250 bucks on that scratch off he said um, I want to give you 20 bucks would you accept that and I said well just thank you you know I said I, I appreciate that and uh, you know he got in his wallet and he, he gave me 20 dollars well his daughter was standing next to him her name's Phoebe she's four years old and she ran in the house well she came back out and she had a coin purse and I, him and I were standing there talking he got me a Gatorade I'm standing there drinking a Gatorade talking to him and she comes up to me and she said, hey, and she held her coin purse up so I could see it. And I got down on my knee and I said, hey, how are you? And she said, I want, I want you to have this. And she handed me two quarters. And I said, oh, you know what? You don't have to do that. I said, no. I said, listen, you save your money. I said, that's, you, know, you save it and it'll, you'll end up with a lot of money. She said, no, I want you to have this. I want to help people. She said, don't worry. I've got a lot of sense. I've got millions of cents. <laughs> I said, Phoebe, you have more sense than a lot of people. I left. When I left there, I was moved by that moment. Um, and I was moved because I don't think that her father realized what he was doing in that moment, right? Um, I think, you know, there was, that was a teachable moment. His daughter probably would, she'll, I think there's going to be something, and he planted a seed in her that, you know what, I think is always going to be there and it's going to blossom. We don't know how that's going to come out, but I think he planted a seed that day and I got to witness that. I got to be a part of that. And those little moments like that, they were very special to me. And let me say, you know, someone said to me, I stayed in five different homeless shelters along the way. And uh, you know, well, you're planting seeds. You're sowing, you're, you're, you're sowing seeds all along the way. She said, you know what? We can always determine how many, it's easy to determine how many seeds come out of an apple, but we'll never know how many apples come from a seed. So as Derek's walk, uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles approached uh, the end, as he got near D.C. in this conference of homelessness, he did something that maybe is a little hard to understand. In the last set of miles, and I'm, I'm not talking 100 miles, I'm talking about, I think, less than 20 miles, he decided to just drive it in. He felt that the spirit of his commitment had been kept and that it would be all right. Now, he battled with this thought as he made the decision, but he, he did it. Um, what if someone were, you know, being a purist or whatever you want to say, um, and says, well, we didn't, you didn't actually do it. That's okay. That's, and that's okay. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Um, if that's someone's view, uh, you know, again, you know, I don't judge people what they think. You know, and I even say, you know what, hey, you know, I'm, I got to own that. You know, I knew that. I contemplated. I fought with that. Um, but then I had to keep going back to, you know what, did I, did I, 
did I do, did I serve the purpose? Do I feel like I served the purpose out here? Mm -hmm. And I felt like I did. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, there's those internal goals, those, you know, when you have these different types of, when you have goals of hitting 300 pounds, you know, mm -hmm. 299 is not enough. You got to mm -hmm. hit that 300. And um, so I, I had that selfish part of me that says, you know what? It wasn't 300. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It was 298. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I can't say it was 300, but yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with that. And that's hard to understand. Because if you're going to go that far, why not finish it out? I mean, you should physically have it in you. And maybe that's something that a long time from now, Derek will battle with the semantics of his commitment. I think often that's where we find ourselves in promises. If it's not literally kept, if it's not to the word, sometimes we can be a purist. And... And I think maybe even more so when it comes to promises like this. But we have to remember the spirit, the nature of what we're trying to do here and all the seeds that were planted along the way. So often we let little but sometimes important details override the whole thing. And, and I don't think that should always be the case. Before we ended this interview, I wanted him, I wanted Derek to speak directly to, to perhaps any kid who who might be facing homelessness, who's who's standing in that line for the soup kitchen today. There's a chance that somebody who listens to this is homeless, is 15, is you in, in some regard. Right. And what do you tell them um, if the day they listen to this is the day their friends are driving past them when they're getting help and they feel the embarrassment that you right. you felt. You build resilience through that. And you know, and, and you're gonna be able to face things in life that um, someone who hasn't gone through that journey that you're going through um, is not gonna know how to deal with. And uh, you're gonna be prepared for that. Um, so this is, you know, let this make you stronger, no matter what, um, and, and, there's, and it can, and it will. Um, don't let it defeat you, don't let it define you. And you might remember at the beginning of this podcast, at the very beginning, Derek uh, told me that he carried his GED, like this little pocket-sized GED, around with him all the time. Well, he also carries something else in his wallet as a reminder. Um, it's a food stamp. It was the very first one his mother received. He never wants to forget where he came from and, uh, and how far he's come. This is a food stamp. That's the mm -hmm. original food stamp. Mm -hmm. I had my mom hold on to that for me. Cause I told her one day I wanted to, you know, be able to look back at it and uh Yeah, it says it says make your food dollars count. Can you find the best buy? And you know, it's a reminder every time I open my wallet up, I see this or I see mm -hmm. my my GD peeking out there and it's just, you know, there's other people out there that um, are, are traveling traveling the same path or similar path. Um, that, that could always use um, you know, a hand up. I, I guess it's understandable. I mean, I, I feel this way. People like to talk about their upbringing, right? Think back on our lives. But with that story comes often a, an interest, a desire to talk about the adversities that came with that upbringing. And sometimes, you know, we, we prop that up. You, you talk about where you came from what it was like, what happened to you. But is that what this is gonna be? This is gonna be a bunch of talk? 
Like we're gonna we're gonna carry around something in our wallet. We're gonna put something, uh, our alma mater, on a wall in our house. We're gonna we're gonna have a picture of what happened to us and put it on the mantle. We're gonna stare at that and have a pride that uh, it happened to us. Or are we gonna do something about that? that issue, that challenge today. There's so much pride that people have that they honestly just don't deserve. And in the case of Derek, obviously he does deserve it, right? I mean, he literally walked all that way. He works for a nonprofit. I mean, the man's qualified enough. He, he got his MBA, he could go do something else. I know that nonprofit money ain't, ain't any good. So you, he, it's this, this is not talk, this is not, um, a piece of jewelry for him or a bragging rights to him. It's a reminder. And there's a difference between those two things. Um, homelessness look, doesn't look like um, what I think a lot of people have painted in their head, right? So it's not, you know, some people see someone that's standing there, you know, with a sign collecting money. Oh, they may be homeless and they may need, but homelessness comes in all shapes and sizes and all backgrounds and experiences. And, and I think it's important. And what we want to do with Walking for Change is to promote that and show that, look, you know, their homelessness looks like all of us. So many of us walking around can be one paycheck away mm -hmm. or one job away from being homeless ourselves. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Aaron Califato and I help produce content like this podcast for Because I Said I Would. In this episode, Derek tells a story that started with homelessness and ends with a mission to change the perception of homelessness. Now, for these episodes, we try and always look for an actionable item for our listeners, something that you can take away and implement in your daily life. However, the issue of homelessness in general and in America is incredibly complicated. It's layered with economic, social, and mental health factors, and sometimes it's just bad luck. Nobody gets to pick the circumstances they are born into. But there is something, and I think Derek echoes this, that we can all do to help, and it's very simple. When you see or encounter someone who is homeless, try and focus on their personhood above their circumstance. When you're looking at them, imagine when they were a baby, and they were born, and they went through the timeline of their life, and now they've landed on this, this phenomenon, their experience of, of housing insecurity, and anyone who experiences this for a short or prolonged time, they are a son, they are a daughter, it could literally be you. They are us. And when more people use that lens, it sets the table for all of us to create tangible solutions to affect change. It sounds simple, but everything has to start somewhere. That's our episode for today. You can find and listen to this show at becauseisaidiwould.com slash the podcast. And you can also listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and most other platforms where podcasts are found. And while you're there, please rate and review this show. It goes a long way. If you like Because I Said I Would, the podcast, I think you'll enjoy Because I Said I Would, the book. Heartwarming, humorous, inspirational, and tragic. These collections of moving promise stories will challenge readers to look deep within themselves and consider the importance of the promises they make. The book is available for purchase at becauseisaidiwood.com slash book. And you'll be glad to know that 100% of the author's proceeds go to Because I Said I Would, a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is bettering humanity. And they do this through chapters of volunteers, character education in schools, accountability programs, and awareness campaigns with a global reach. Special thanks to our team, 
our producer, Julie Fink, our audio engineer, Dave Douglas. Until next time, remember, a single promise can change a life forever. And behind every promise, there's a story.